There's a scene in the movie Doubt where Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing a priest. And as a priest, he gives this short homily on the vice of gossip. And he tells this story. A woman was gossiping with her friend about a man she hardly knows. I'm sure none of you have ever done this. Well, that night, she had a dream. A great hand appeared over her and pointed down at her. She was immediately seized with an overwhelming sense of guilt. So the next day, she went to confession. She got the old parish priest, Father O'Rourke, and told him the whole thing. Is gossiping a sin, she asked the old man. Was that the hand of God Almighty pointing down at me? Should I be asking for your absolution, Father? Tell me, have I done something wrong? Yes, the priest said to her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You've borne false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with his reputation. You should be haughtily ashamed. So the woman said she was sorry and asked for forgiveness. It's a pretty harsh priest, really, but I think he must have been reading James. As we've been saying for the last month or several weeks, James can be kind of harsh, and he has a lot to say throughout his letter about our words. And the spirit of what James says about all this holding your tongue, I really think he's rather un-American, don't you? I mean, we have the freedom to say whatever we want. That's what our forefathers fought for. So don't you try to censor me. I'll say what I want to say whenever I want to say it. (laughs) That's certainly the attitude of our culture and some in our time, isn't it? Only James, he won't really have any of that. He insists that, oh, your words matter. And by the way, your leader's words matter. But it seems we've kind of lost sight of that wisdom in our time. We really live in a time, a unique time, I think, where meaningless chatter and deceitful words are clogging up our airways and filling up our social medias like never before. And and sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes those meaningless words and deceitful ideas come spilling out of our own mouths. In our time, we just don't take words all that seriously. But James has a real warning for us. Everyone, he says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then in verse 26, those who consider themselves devoted to God, or some translations, those who consider themselves religious but don't keep a tight rein on their tongue are deceiving themselves. Their religion is worship, worthless. Their devotion to God is meaningless. He sounds a little bit like old Father O'Rourke to me. James, he's pushing us to try to come to grips with how powerful our words can be. And this is something that really the Hebrew mindset and the Jewish mindset understood and just assumed. They, they knew it a lot better than we do. The Jewish people, they recognize that words do have this power in and of themselves. Once words are spoken, they take on a life of their own. And so again and again throughout the scriptures, we see these examples of how words actually have the power to create and the power to destroy. 
I mean, of course, you probably remember the creation story, right? How all things came to be in that beautiful poetry of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And God said, let dry land come forth. And it was. And God said, let vegetation come forth. And it was. From the very first chapter of the Bible, we have this story about words creating worlds. We have the story about how words can create reality. They create reality for one another. And it's not even just God's words that have this power. And this is where I think we sometimes lose sight of. We think, well, sure, maybe God's words. But do you remember that story that we have this image of on the front of our worship guides? That story where Jacob deceives his father, Isaac, and steals Esau's blessing from his father. Remember, Isaac, he was old and blind at that time, and so Jacob put on some fur to try to be hairy like Esau was, and he goes in and he tricks Isaac into thinking that he is his brother so that Isaac will then speak the family blessing on him, on Jacob. Well, once Isaac realizes what has happened, he was furious, of course he was, but he could not revoke the words that had been spoken. This is what he says to Esau. The words have already been spoken. You see, Isaac understood. The Hebrew mindset actually understood that once words are spoken, they have a life of their own. They have a power to them. Our words create realities for one another. Our words create realities for our children. Our words create worlds. Isaac had spoken. He didn't intend to say what he said to whom he said it, but he couldn't take it back. And we sort of lost that wisdom in our day. Words are a dime a dozen. We don't really seem to understand the worlds we're creating with words. But we are. Our words, they're so much bigger than us. They're bigger than our intentions, bigger than Isaac's intentions. They're bigger than our ability to just pull them back like they never happened. And so James says that our tongue is like the smallest of sparks that can set the whole forest on fire. And man, did we see that this year, didn't we? Back in January. I mean, we think our words don't matter that much. Our our, our words, they might seem a little harmless. A sarcastic remark made here or there. Some shared cynicism, some grumbling over the telephone, some corner at work where we're just picking at other people, some post on someone's Facebook in an emotional rant, some pundit on TV just critiquing or saying things that aren't true, some speech given to some crowd on some unfortunate January morning. We, we often think our words aren't that potent, but they are your Words, even your words, can set whole worlds on fire, James says. Of course, the problem with what comes out of our mouths, it normally doesn't actually begin with our tongues, does it? There's actually an operative spiritual principle that James is getting at as he uses different examples throughout his writings. And the spiritual 
principle is this. What is seen is controlled by what is unseen. What is seen or even what is heard is controlled by what is unseen. A horse is controlled by the bit in its mouth. The unseen wind is what fills the sails of the ship and powers it and makes it move. But then it goes even deeper than that. The small unseen rudder underneath the surface controls the direction of the ship and the effect of the wind. What is seen is controlled by what is unseen, James is saying to us. Our words are controlled by our tongues, but it goes a lot deeper than that because our tongue is controlled by what? Richard Foster actually has a lot to say about how our tongue is controlled by what's underneath our hearts. He, he writes, he has this classic book on spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Disciplines. And Richard Foster, he says that the tongue is like a thermometer. The words that come out of our mouths, they actually reveal something about who we are, about what is under the surface. Our tongues are actually revealing our spiritual temperature. They reveal what is there. So when we find ourselves regretting what's come out of our mouths, it often means that we need to realize there's something going on under the surface. What is it saying about what's in our hearts? When our words suggest that maybe we've got a fever, it might mean that something under there needs to change. And and he and James is not just talking about self-control of our words here. Self-control is good, but self-control is never going to be enough. Remember, James also says no one can tame the tongue. We may be able to even tame wild animals and reptiles and all kinds of things, but no one, he says, can tame the tongue. Self-control isn't actually enough. What is needed is a change of what is under the surface. What's needed is transformation. Because remember, what is seen and what is heard is controlled by what is unseen. Now here's kind of the irony in all of this. One of the most powerful ways to transform what's under the surface is the practice of silence. Richard Foster goes on to also say that the tongue, it's not just a thermometer revealing what our spiritual temperature is. It actually can work as a thermostat regulating our spiritual temperature. If the tongue is like a rudder of the ship, if the tongue can set the whole course of one's life, as James says, then it really does go go both ways. The tongue is both a thermometer revealing what's under the surface, but it can act as a thermostat, shaping what's under the surface, which is why I think the very first teaching he gives us is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. He's talking about the discipline of silence. And silence is a really hard discipline for us, I think. Silence makes us uncomfortable. It can even make us a little nervous sometimes. And in part, I think that's because silence makes us start to wrestle with the truth of what's going on under the surface. 
If you've ever tried to intentionally practice silence for a long period, like maybe a whole day, or practice silence for a half a day, then you know that in that period, all sorts of stuff starts to bubble up, and you can find it really frustrating and really hard, and part of it is all this noise and chatter starts bubbling up, all these things that you've been ignoring in you. They start coming to the surface, and so silence, we just kind of run away from it. In fact, most of the time, I think we avoid it, But Foster says silence is actually one of the deepest spiritual disciplines. Now, I know that it can be kind of confusing to even know how to practice that along the way. Um, So let me clarify a few things about what it is and what it isn't. Simply to refrain from talking is not actually the spiritual practice of silence. Of course, it does often involve the absence of speech. What the practice of silence always involves is the art of listening. Just because someone is generally a quiet person doesn't mean they're actually a more spiritual person. And just because someone is generally better at small chat and talking doesn't mean they are less spiritual. So that's a really important distinction. When we stop using our mouths, even someone like me that can be really quiet sometimes, let me tell you, there can be all kinds of chatter still there, not really listening. The spiritual practice of silence, though, always involves the art of listening, of trying to listen really deeply, of trying to listen to the honest truths of what your soul is is maybe trying to say about your life of trying to listen deeply to our soul as we hold it before God, of trying to even listen to what perhaps might this mysterious God of ours be saying to me. In fact, you might just say that the purpose of silence, it's not just less words, but the actual purpose is to create this open and receptive soul so that we can begin to hear from God this open and receptive soul so that we can start to hear the truths of what our life wants to say to us. And especially this open, receptive soul so that we can actually hear one another. That's what James is getting at. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. They go together. So when we're practicing it, even in small chunks here at Dayspring and worship, remember the point of our silence together isn't just to be really quiet for a moment, but the point is to stop long enough to listen. Because the soul that learns to be silent and to listen will begin to be transformed. Father, tell me, have I done something wrong? The woman asked. Yes, the priest answered her. Yes, you ignorant, badly brought up female. You have bore false witness against your neighbor. You've played fast and loose with her repu- his reputation. You should be haughtily ashamed. So the woman said she was sorry and asked for forgiveness. Not so fast, the priest said. I want you to go home. Take a pillow up on your roof, cut it open with a knife, and then return here to me. So the woman went home. She took a pillow off of her bed. She took a big knife from her kitchen drawer. She went up the fire escape to the top of her roof, and she stabbed this pillow. 
And then she went back to the old parish priest as instructed. Did you gut the pillow with a knife? The priest asked. Yes, father, she said. And what was the result? Feathers. Feathers, he said. Feathers everywhere, father. Now I want you to go back and gather up every last feather that flew out on the wind. Well, she said, it can't be done. I don't know where they went. The wind took them all over. And that, said the priest, is gossip. Feathers on the wind spread all over. That is the power of our tongues. Ecclesiastes says there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Both are needed, not just one or the other. So yes, speak when speaking is needed. But always first be quick to listen. Still your hearts. Be quiet. Be still. Be changed.